Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Bear Market and today I um, just want to talk about um, free agency a little more. I know last episode we kind of delved into the initial signings that Bear has made but I think this episode I want to just go a little more in depth. Uh, I'm going to give you guys uh, one of my favorite deals, one of my least favorite deals and one deal that was very interesting for me. So uh, yeah, let's jump right into it. So in terms of my favorite deal, uh, it was by close margin, uh, al Quadin Muhammad, a defensive end, signing for two years, $10 million in total. Um, yeah, so there's a few reasons why this signing was a favorite of mine. Uh, first one was, if you look at the league standings for run block win rate, al Quadin Muhammad was the fourth highest in the whole league at 30%. So right off the bat, this tells me that Iberflus has been able to get Muhammad, who wasn't a high-ticket draft pick or anything, uh, get Muhammad to produce at a high level on his defense and has has had uh, Muhammad buy into his uh, kind of philosophy and his um, his scheme, right? So having him come, come from Indianapolis to the Bears, very good sign, uh, especially with this kind of production. Um, in addition to the uh, good uh, run defense st- statistics that we, we see here, seven sacks, which is um, honestly pretty good for you know, player of this this tier, five million dollars a year, right? And uh, still only twenty seven million. Uh, sorry, twenty seven years old. So there's a lot of upside in this deal. Uh, yeah, I think uh, several Bears insiders um, were saying after the signing, like, oh, if if one if there was one person that the Bears were going to sign, it was probably Muhammad. You know, all the writings were on the wall. Even before the Khalil Mack trade, we needed defense and depth. We needed players who um, were familiar with Iberflus' system. I know Quinn and Mack both played in 4-3s before, but Iberflus uh, seems to have a very specific way, um, not only in this, this scheme philosophy, but also just this general um, buy-in to the, to the defense. So it, it was pretty obvious that he wants his kind of guys. Um, so I think Al-Qadim Muhammad was someone that a lot of people had I checked in as a bear signing even before it became official and um as we see here the the predictions were correct and you know even though it, even if it's predictable even if it seemed a little bit boring it's definitely i think my favorite signing of the off season just a plug and play starter you know you can expect good production out of him after five million dollars a year i really like that value right um okay but uh on the, on the flip side of things we have the the least favorite signing also along the defensive line, uh, defensive tackle Justin Jones. I think uh, if Larry Ogunjobi's signing went through, uh, the, his signing would be number one least favorite. But uh, Ogunjobi failed his physical, and the Bears quickly pivoted over to Justin Jones literally within the same day that they announced that Ogunjobi would not be a Chicago Bear. So Justin Jones' deal is uh, two years, $16 million, $8 million a year. Uh I think that seemed a little steep to me, especially at the the point of free agency that Jones signed. A clear second wave signing was on the market for I think like a week, week and a half. Surprise, the price was a little lower. I think Jones did say that he was literally about to head to Indianapolis. Actually, Iberflus's former team to sign with them. Probably uh, polls had to beat that price. He probably was willing to because I think I mentioned in the last episode. It's it's very apparent that. The three technique position is is highly valued within uh, Ibrufus's defense. So I think, and 
in the front office. Coaching staff zeroed in on Jones as uh, replacement for Ogunjobi, and and they got him. But all that being said, just kind of looking deeper into Jones as a player. Uh, first of all, he put up a 57.9 grade in uh, 2021 according to PFF. I know that PFF might not be a big favorite of a lot of uh, Bear fans and just fans across the across the league but in my view it's not a end-all be-all like oh this uh, pff said this guy's a bad player he's a bad player this guy said pff pff said this guy's a good player he's a good he's a good player no i i'm using it as a data point in a lot of different um in combination with a lot of other data points you know you you gotta have a lot of data points to make an accurate um conclusion and pff is a very useful tool in the in the toolbox of these kind of these kind of data points so but but back to the point with jones uh, he kind of put like a below average-ish performance up in uh 2021 i know in the past years he put up a, a bit better numbers uh, according to pff but i think uh in 2021 was um injured fairly injured um the one upside i do see is i think uh, charger fans were kind of sad to see him go said that the run defense was significantly better whenever he was able to play if he was able to stay on the field but my kind of concern is that that kind of money, two years, uh, $16 million, that's, I know it's only a two-year investment, but $8 million a year is guaranteed starter, you, um, hopefully, three-down player, right? So, I'm not sure that Jones will be able to live up not only to durability concerns, but to the uh, concerns of him as a pass rusher, right? So, we'll see, but for the moment i don't love it i still am not giving what if i had the grade i wouldn't give an f because <laughs> just honestly it's kind of like a weird perspective to have but because of the whole ogunjobi thing the deal falling falling through i would much rather have justin jones at two years 16 million dollars than ogunjobi at three years 40 million dollars right because there are some reasons for optimism with jones he's only 25 years old he's very young charter fans seem to, to like him and you know i think there is some pass rushing upside but yeah so you know who knows but all that being said he's still the least favorite out of um the class so far i know it's not a big class but so far yeah least favorite um moving on one interesting signing I think it, I was kind of um, deciding between Byron Pringle and Marcus Veldet. Sorry, got my Packer receiver, former Packer receivers uh, mixed up. Uh, not MVS, um, Equinemius St. Brown. And I kind of decided on Pringle because, uh, I mean, honestly, the, the contract that um, St. Brown signed, it's clear that not only <laughs> Packers, Bears, the rest of the league don't have much faith in them to be any more than a wide receiver four, wide receiver five type. So I don't I don't see any reason that that us as media or anyone uh, outside of the league should have a similar view other than um, St. Brown being a, kind of a bottom of the roster guy. So I decided to settle on Pringle, sign a one year four million dollar deal with uh, around two million dollars in incentives. So the reason why I said interesting is because if Byron Pringle was let's say two three years younger, 25, 26, I would have put him as my favorite deal because. I love these kind of signings where a player is kind of stuck behind like all pro caliber player. So let's, for example, say Tyreek Hill, right? Um, they're kind of stuck behind the depth chart, but they do get opportunities, you know? Byron Pringle, um, right receiver two, three-ish last year in Kansas City, and he produced, he produced well. He put up a 66.5 PFF grade. 
and around 500, 600 yards receiving and put up very um, few clutch touchdowns, right? So the production is there, but he was stuck behind a, you know, a Tyreek Hill. Travis Kelsey was competing with them for targets. So he didn't put up the volume stats uh, that would allow him to get like a big deal, right? So that's where the value comes from. You, you can try to project, you know, wide receiver one, wide receiver two um, production, but with uh, wide receiver three, wide receiver four contract because of just the fact that he was stuck behind an all pro player. I think this kind of similar deal that panned out for the Bears a few years ago was uh, Martellus Bennett. You know, he was stuck behind Jason Witten for, for many years. He produced when he got the chance, but he was never going to overtake Witten, right? But it kind of came over to the Bears, showed that he could be a Pro Bowl level tight end, right? So, yeah, but the only thing was when Bennett came over, he was he was a little younger, I believe. Pringle's 28, kind of old already. Um, so that's why I put him in interesting because, you know, if he figures out a way, because his, his physical traits are going to drop off in the next few years, if he can figure out a way to age well um, and take this, because he's projecting to be a top two, top three wide receiver in Chicago right now. If he's able to take this opportunity and make the most of it, then this could be a very good signing. And the other thing um, is, like, can he keep up with the increased workload? That's that's always a risk with players like this, right? Like, was was this player grading out high because they were deployed in only certain scenarios that would allow them to succeed, right? If this is true, then if you give them true wide receiver one, wide receiver two responsibilities, then their production and efficiency will drop off. So those are all the risks. That's why it's very interesting for me to see if Pringle can can keep up that production with the increased workload, right? Another point I do want to address is that I think Bears fans kind of have this misconception that Pringle is this like small, speedy, like you know, four-three burner, right? Um, just because coming from Kansas City, I think the, the stereotype for receivers coming out of um, from the Chiefs has has just been kind of like the Terry Kill mold, right? Um, like Miko Hardman as well, you know, just those burners, small burners, um, and kind of. Um, like Matt Nagy reinforced that too because he was trying to replicate the, the KC offense and brought um, brought over, not from Kansas City, but just brought on to the Bears like uh, Taylor Gabriel and Anthony Miller, you know, small, shifty wide receivers like that. But Pringle, if you look at his measurables, he's 6'2", 205. So not saying he's not fast, but this he's not a small, shifty, you know, slot receiver. He's going to have versatility. And I think this is relevant because the Bears aren't going to be shoehorned into sign or drafting one archetype of receiver. I think I see some fans being like, we need to get a big bodied, you know, possession receiver for Justin Fields, right? And I think fans who say this are kind of living uh, like 10 years ago, you know, when all the rage was these big hands, catch radius, uh, possession receivers, you know, like Fitzgerald, Brandon Marshall, you know, Randy Moss towards the end of his career. I know he was was definitely uh, more of a burner when he was younger, but you know, like you get the point, right? These just, uh, these massive wide receivers who were 6'4", 6'5", you know, DeAndre Hopkins kind of um, Anquan Bolden, you know, I can go on and on, but the the league has kind of moved past that, I think, to kind of valuing agility and speed and shiftiness a little bit more now. And I think Pringle fits all those boxes. He's he's got a good catch radius. He 
plays big, but he also he also plays fast, right? And that's that's kind of what you like to see. And the important part about that is that makes him very versatile. So you're not you're not shoehorned into oh we have to get a slot guy um in the draft. We have to get an X receiver in the draft. You know both him and Pringle and Mooney are very versatile receivers. We've seen them throughout their careers play a multitude of different kind of roles. And so it, it puts Poles in a good position to have flexibility to you kind of look at his board. Who is the best option right now? And, and you know, just go for it, right? All right. So those were my three free agency picks. One, uh, my favorite deal, my least favorite deal, and the most interesting deal. Uh, Bear fans, please um, feel free to let me know what you think. Um... And I just want to move on to just a few just general points to close out this episode. I I still see a lot of um, fans uh, freaking out, you know, kind of wondering, like, when is help for Justin going to come? Our Marty Super Room is barren. Our offensive line is the worst offensive line in the league. <laughs> you know, things like that, right? And I just want everyone to take a step back, you know, take a deep breath and just look at the calendar. It's freaking March. It's March, whatever, 27 today, right? There's a exercise I saw on uh, Twitter called uh, March Depth Chart, where um, I think a few bloggers kind of tweeted out Green Bay's depth chart, Detroit's depth chart, Minnesota's depth chart. And, you know, if you, if you just continue this exercise for a lot of the league, it would not be too pretty. <laughs> and, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's literally March. Like, you have 22 starters, right? I'm assuming most teams will have... Anywhere from like two to five starters being filled in by rookies, right? By the time the draft is over. And so that's like 10 to 10 to 20 to 20, 25% of your, your starters are going to be, you know, different by the time the draft ends. So my point is like, it's kind of a pointless exercise to try to read too much into our, oh my God, like our right receiver room sucks. Like, like our offensive line group like sucks right now futile exercise just take a deep breath and kind of just evaluate these signings one by one you know kind of think about what's happening and after the draft um after you know training cup training training camp uh, cuts you know then we can evaluate the roster be a little more realistic because i mean this is how the roster is going to look like when the season starts and then we can make those evaluations at that point right but to do it now is just kind of kind of pointless and you know i feel like some people just uh, i know some fans like like being mad so it's 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 easy to, to to be mad at this but if if you're someone who likes to think that they're kind of even-headed like clear-minded then try not to get sucked into all this right yeah so and to continue to continue on this point i think i i saw a very interesting chart today that kind of since 2012 i believe there has been a negative correlation between free agency spending and wins for that team right and I know, I know, like, I'm familiar with uh, correlation does not equal causation, right? Obviously, I'm not saying that, oh, wow, Poles didn't spend any money this free agency. We're going to win 15 games. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that it's clear that winning organizations all have a very similar formula in free agency, and that is of restraint, and that is of ensuring that you get your value, right? And there is a good point to be said that the reason why it's negatively correlated is because if you're winning more, that means your players are like your draft players or any, any, I guess any player on your roster is doing better and you're more likely to re-sign them, right? So you have less money to spend in free agency. 
but that's my whole entire point that's how i want the the bears to be built i want the bears to make good draft picks you know give them second contracts and go from there instead of overspending on free agency because i would say like 80 percent of these deals in free agency are overpaced especially in the first week right because it's it's hard to get a good value on these free agency deals when you have multiple teams bidding on this player, right? So um, the the final price often ends up way higher than what a player is valued at, right? So, yeah, I kind of just um, also want to mention the Bears were number three in free agency spending throughout that time period. And uh, since... Uh, spending and wins were negatively correlated uh, that means that we weren't we haven't been winning a lot in the last 10 years all right so let's try to flip the script try this out new new philosophy um i did try to map out um uh, kansas city philadelphia and uh, indianapolis because that's where uh, ryan poles ian cunningham and matt Eberflus, those organizations were um they came from and all three of those organizations were below average in free agency spending and have had a good, great amount of success in the past 10 years. So yeah, let's try to let's try to emulate that instead of instead of getting too mad in uh, in March, right? And uh, yeah, so to address another point about fans being concerned about year two is all about Justin Fields' development. It's not about wins. We have to surround him with the most talent possible. But I think uh, what a lot of fans kind of forget about is this corner coach surrounding um fields with the best talent possible yes um that's the hope right but you have to consider the cost and oftentimes if you put on too much of a cost this year like it in, in football it's it's unless you sign one-year contracts it's it's these kind of contracts and these kind of moves that you make will have consequences many many years in the future because not only not only is there a lot of you know cap gymnastics with dead money and signing bonuses and etc and the more cap you leave over in one year that cap rolls over to next year right so if you if you leave like 10 million dollars from your cap space this year then you get the extra whatever 10 million dollars to spend next year and so there's always an opportunity cost with especially free agency right I'm a firm believer that as long as you give Fields a top two-thirds wide receiver room and two-thirds offensive line, then that is good enough to um, help him develop. You know, you can't have him running around <laughs> uh, like two of those. You know, that, that that is not the way to do it. But as long as it's we're not the worst wide receiver in the room, wide receiver room in the league, right? And worst offensive line in the league. If that is good enough for me because what what i want to see fields do is elevate the players around him right and and if you kind of look at uh justin herbert from his rookie year he didn't have a great offense line he had a i mean he had keenan allen and mike williams but they were injured a lot of the time right so he had a serviceable wide receiver room but he showed that he's able to elevate these pieces to a higher level you know and get success from that still and then you know, the, the Chargers kind of spent, you know, top uh, 10 pick on Rashawn Slater. And then they didn't spend anything on the receiver room, but they they had uh, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams pretty healthy for this year. And, and yeah, Justin Herbert, I mean, obviously the Chargers missed the playoffs barely, but they, they should have been in there and they almost did make it. So that, that kind of formula, I think, is, is very important to keep in mind. That kind of formula of you know, as long as you don't have, as long as you don't have to like scheme around them as a major liability, then it should be sufficient enough to, to see where Justin Fields is at and help him develop. 
And kind of the last point I wanted to, to touch on was kind of Ryan Poles' philosophy uh, in the draft. Um, it's so he, he said he said a lot of things uh, since coming on as a GM of the Bears, but I think one of the things that I want to bring up again was that Poles said that it's very important for a young quarterback to have a, a good wide receiver room, right? To have a, to have a guy also and also that he loves building through a draft so if you put those two uh kind of uh, philosophies together and kind of see that he hasn't made too much of a, a dent in the wide receiver room and free agency we can deduce that he's probably going to look to spend one of his early picks on a uh, wide receiver right so keep an eye on that i think uh i've been i personally have been trying to get to know these wide receiver prospects a little bit better it looks like uh, george pickens is a lot of um a lot of uh, fans uh, favorite um kind of in that like uh second round range i know chris olave is kind of like a, <laughs> a dream for, for a lot of bears fans you know like the jalen waddle Tua, and jamar chase uh burrow maybe a third will be uh olave and fields but hey after after the packers and the chiefs traded away uh Devontae and tyreek I, I really don't see olave coming out of the first round there's seems to be uh, too many wide receiver needy teams at the end of the first round and kind of that's that seems to be where Olave has been projected uh so I think maybe uh kind of Christian Watkins or George Pickens might be a little bit more realistic but you know honestly it seems like the consensus is all these wide receivers I haven't even mentioned all of them but these kind of like fringe round one early round two receivers are kind of all in a similar tier so who knows what's going to happen between now and the draft there's probably going to be a lot of movement up and down up and down so but I'm excited to see um definitely Bears fans keep an eye on that keep an eye on uh interior alignment and tackles there's a chance that uh, one of the second rounders isn't spent on offensive linemen, which is, I think, kind of against what a lot of fans were thinking for a long time. But I, I kind of see it as a, a real possibility now because Poles has made it clear that he's looking for value in the offensive line. Um, he, I think he's confident in his ability to find undervalued pieces who can perform way higher than their draft pick or their salary, right? And yeah, there's a chance that... Um, Poles and Cunningham are like, yeah, you know, I see a fourth round tackle here. We can plug in across from Tevin Jenkins and he'll be successful. So, you know, I think there's, I think it's a lock that one of those two picks will go to receiver. But then the other, other um, pick, I, I, I don't know in the second round. I mean, I could definitely see it going towards like safety or corner. I, I think that's something that Bear fans should be prepared for. And, you know, you know, I like it because I think if you have the strength in the front office, right, of identifying gems in the offensive line pool, right, then you let's let's see where that takes us, right? And and I'm sure and and if you look at the Kansas City offensive line, when polls in the front office realized that their approach wasn't working and they completely made over the whole offensive line, you know, they invested into it and it turned out to be one of the top five offensive lines in the whole league, right? So if we ever get to that point, I'm like that's fine too. But it seems like they're trying for a little more economical point at this at this time. All right, Bears fans, um, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. I don't know if I've mentioned this previously, but this, this podcast is being hosted on Substack, and I've only posted one article there so far, but please check it out. And I think you can comment on these episodes on Substack, so please feel free to check me out. The links should be in the description. And yeah, once again, thanks for listening, and talk to you again next week.